0: Planning and zoning can only go so far. What are some of the other things that people can do to get involved with this?
1: Well, starting about 1996 around here, we realized what the limitations were with planning and zoning and came upon the idea of creating a publicly funded land preservation program, which at that time almost didn't exist in the state of Michigan. There had been established programs in other parts of the country for going back to the 1970s, but only one place in Michigan at that point had established a dedicated millage for land preservation, and that was in Peninsula Township, which is the peninsula that divides the two arms of Grand Traverse Bay just north of Traverse City, Michigan, which is a unique climate for growing fruits, both cherries and grapes, but also a very scenic area and very popular for particularly second home developments and they recognized going back to 1992 or 94 that they were gonna lose their farms through second home developments unless they did something. And that served as an inspiration for us here in Washtenaw County as well, where they put a proposal on the ballot and asked voters of their township, Peninsula Township, to say, are you willing to tax yourselves for 10 years and use that money to buy conservation easements or by development rights is another way of putting it, on farm properties on the peninsula. And people voted in favor of that in a large number. And a couple years later, we looked at that as our inspiration to say, well, if they can do that, then we'd like to do that too. The key thing about that is when landowners have desirable land, both for farming, but also for residential development, they get approached by developers and developers have cash in hand. And when you go to those farmers and say, we'd like to protect your land, can you donate the development rights to it? They say, that's my retirement account that you're talking about there. You know, I never made very much money as a farmer, certainly haven't saved very much money. My retirement account is that piece of ground out there, and I can't give it away. It's just not feasible for me. But if you offered me some money for it, then we could do something. And that was Peninsula's inspiration and ours here as well, as well as the other communities across the country that have been doing this for a long time. And so we initially approached our county board of commissioners here and said, we'd like to put this matter before the public and ask them here in the county, do you want to create a fund to be able to buy land or uh, development rights on land through conservation easements? And after a long struggle, we were able to uh, actually get something on the ballot in 1998. That was our first endeavor. Unfortunately, the developers and the realtors opposed us in that effort. They saw it as the camel's nose under the tent and that their livelihoods would be impacted. We thought that was ridiculous because we were only going to be able to save, at our best efforts, 10 or 20,000 acres of land, and there was lots more land out there to be developed. But nevertheless, they ran a very effective campaign and we lost that first election in 1998. It's very bitter and uh, left us feeling uh, <laughs> very empty. But we regrouped a couple of years later and put a proposal before the voters of Washtenaw County in 2000. And that was very strongly supported. I think it was 67% of the vote was in favor of that proposal. And we've taken off from there with other proposals as well. So having money available. Uh, through these kinds of property tax millages that we can match with other funds has been essential to our land preservation efforts here in Washtenaw County. We're able to compensate landowners for the value that they have in their land without having to sell it off for development. And so we're in essence providing another option for those landowners when they get to that stage of needing to or wanting to sell their land for something else. And it was through these publicly funded land preservation programs through property tax millages that we were able to accomplish that.
0: That was a county-wide vote, but you're also working with townships on ballot proposals that are specific to that township or the residents within that township.
1: That's right, Dan. We were successful in, in 2000 with a proposal that was county-wide here in Washtenaw, but just funded natural area preservation, at least initially. But that also gave us then the ability to start pursuing other, even more local sources of funding within the county. A couple years later in 2003, two other proposals went on the ballot. One of them in the city of Ann Arbor, which is the largest city in Washtenaw County. And that was a proposal that's commonly called the Parks and Greenbelt Program, to take a 30 year millage. One third of the money was to be used for continuing to buy parkland within the city limits. But two thirds of the money could be spent outside the city limits to assist in the purchase of land by other entities. The city didn't wanna own property outside its borders, but they would be willing to contribute towards somebody else buying the property, or more particularly, the conservation easements on farmland and natural areas. So that proposal went on the ballot in November of 2003. At the same time, there was a similar proposal in Ann Arbor Township, which is immediately north of the city of Ann Arbor, and a little bit to the east, most of the city used to be Ann Arbor Township, but it has been annexed over the course of the last century or so. But there's still a couple thousand acres of farmland and open space in the township that residents there, through their surveys, said they wanted to see protected. So those two proposals voted on by different populations, one in the township, one in the city, were on the ballot in November of 2003 and both passed by large margins. In fact, in Ann Arbor Township, it was 80% of the people who voted, voted in favor of increasing their taxes, basically doubling their taxes to preserve farmland and open space, which is an extraordinary number. I mean, no election I've ever heard of got 80% of the vote. In Ann Arbor, the city, it was 67%, which is also an extraordinarily high number, for a 30-year tax. People in the city said, we want to have green space around us. We don't want to be surrounded by cookie cutter subdivisions, which is the kind of thing that's been happening uh, over the course of the last few decades in particular. We wanna have green space around us. We wanna be able to drive or bike out into the countryside and see green space. We wanna be able to go to places to buy vegetables or whatever outside the city. We don't wanna be surrounded by residential development and be like any other place in the world. So kudos to the people of the city of Ann Arbor for agreeing to do that as well as Ann Arbor Township and then two other townships followed suit in succeeding years. West of the city of Ann Arbor is called Sio Township. They also passed their own individual property tax millage. And then north of Sio, the most rural community so far to pass a property tax millage dedicated for land preservation is called Webster Township. And all of those have passed at least once, sometimes two or three times, and they're all by large margins. I think the smallest margin was 60% in favor. So the citizens of those individual municipalities have said, this is important to us. We want to have this happen. We're gonna provide you with the tax dollars to be able to do that.
0: It comes down to the conservation easement. And
1: how does that work? Yeah, that's the key tool for us in doing these projects. A conservation easement is a permanent restriction on the use of the land. It's a deed restriction. Uh, I call it a glorified deed restriction because it's 25 pages long. It defines what the property is, who the owners are. Most importantly, what kinds of uses are permitted on the property going forward and what kinds of uses are limited or prohibited on that. So a conservation easement defines all those things for the particular property and ultimately the owners of the property and whoever is the purchaser of the easement or what we call the grantee of the easement, the owner being the grantor of the easement reach agreement, they sign the document, it gets recorded in the County Register of Deeds, and it runs with the property in perpetuity. One of the ways that people talk about what kinds of rights are being conveyed in conservation easements is the old adage of having a bundle of sticks, with each stick representing a particular right that somebody has to the property. That could be the right to, for example, divide that property into smaller parcels and build houses on it, what we commonly call the development rights. Sometimes there are sand and gravel resources that are available on or near the surface of a property. That's a development right also. Sometimes there are woods on the property that one could clear cut and make into a residential development or farmland or other kinds of uses. So there are different things, different sticks, if you will, that people have that represent rights that they have to be able to do things on their land. In a conservation easement, some of those sticks are given up. They're relinquished. They say, we're willing to give up our right to divide the property into smaller parcels and to build houses on the property and to mine the surface for sand and gravel and to drain the wetlands and those kinds of things. And that's the agreement that we reached then with the landowner to say, you retain these rights for things like agricultural use and managing a woodlot and hunting on the property and restricting public access. Those are all rights that you have now. You keep those rights, you still got those. But there are other
0: rights that they say, we're willing to give up. So for example, a farmer could keep farming the land, but if there was woodland that was protected, that right would be still preserved for the property. That's correct. That's correct. So within each easement, are there requirements in terms of agricultural or other uses? I mean, a farm is certainly not a subdivision, but there is infrastructure in terms of buildings, storage, barns, and whatnot. Each conservation easement is
1: negotiated separately. We have a model easement document that we work from, but then every property is different and every landowner is different. And since it is a perpetual document, I tell landowners not just to look at the land as it is now, but think ahead 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, because somebody's gonna own this property at some point and they're gonna have to abide by this easement, whatever we say in it now that we agree to today. Generally speaking, there's no requirement that there be uh, agricultural use of the property, but it is a permitted use of the property. And there's no specification on what kind of agricultural use can be done on the property. Many of our properties are still in a sort of standard corn and soybean rotation. Sometimes there's wheat, sometimes there's hay fields on it. That's all up to the farmer to choose how to do, and there's no requirement for them to put it to an agriculture use, um, with one exception that we'll cover later. And in fact, we have one example in Ann Arbor Township, north of the city, where a conservation easement was conveyed by an owner, and then the owner turned around and sold the property. And that new owner has taken the vast majority of the property out of production and planted it in native grasses and flowers, and also has uh, worked with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and Ducks Unlimited to create wetlands on the property and that's perfectly her right to do. There's no requirement in that case that the ag use be conducted on the property. If there's a woodlot on the property and there's an interest in harvesting trees off of that for what we call commercial use, that is selling logs off of the property, then we require a forest management plan to be created by a registered forester, and that plan can allow for a harvest but not permit the clear cutting of the land. We wanna retain those ecosystem services that we talked about Earlier, and the wildlife habitat and the scenic views, and so forth. And in terms of agricultural properties, even if there isn't a residence permitted on the property or not one that exists there previously, there are agricultural buildings that can be constructed on the property to support the agricultural operation on it. So we don't prohibit agricultural buildings to be constructed. We like to have them primarily situated within what we call a building envelope, an an area on the property that the buildings will be concentrated. But we also recognize that people may pasture land and want some shelters for cattle to run in or if they're growing vegetables, they might wanna have a wash pack station out in the field rather than hauling all the stuff back into the farmstead. So those kinds of agricultural buildings are permitted
0: within the conservation easement. So what are the benefits for the community through conservation easements?
1: Well, first and foremost, I would say that it ensures the land will never be developed. I think of it as implementation of the master planning process that the community has gone through, through its citizens, through its planning commission, and ultimately its elected body. They say, we want to protect certain areas, we want it to remain in agricultural open space use, and the easement solidifies that. It says these lands will be available for ag use or for their natural features forever and ever. The other thing about the conservation easement is that the easement defines the legal status of the grantee entity, a township or a city, and land conservancies do this kind of work also. And that is the landowner and the grantee have agreed to certain terms. And it's then the responsibility of the grantee to ensure that that agreement is being upheld in perpetuity. So generally speaking, someone, I do this for a couple of my townships, goes out to the property, at least once a year with notice. I'd send a letter and then I follow up with a phone call to the owner and say, it's time for your annual monitoring visit. Do you want to come with me? When's a good time? This is the time of year, here we are in, in late October, early November, is when I generally do those things. And I do a walk around the property and use what we call the baseline documentation report, which is created at the time that the easement's conveyed, the time we sign it and it gets recorded, to define what the property looks like at the time that the easement is being conveyed. With pictures and maps and descriptions of the property and so forth, both parties sign off on that, and then I use that as I do my monitoring visit every year to say, everything looks the way it's supposed to be. You haven't done anything that you weren't supposed to do, and that's the extent of my involvement with the property there on out. However, if there is something done on the property that shouldn't have been done, then the easement provides the legal status for that grantee to enforce the terms of the easement. So the worst case example is if somebody comes in and builds a house where they weren't supposed to build a house. And I find that on my annual monitoring visit, and I say, well, you weren't supposed to do that. It wasn't permitted in the conservation easement. And so you have to remove that house. And again, fortunately, I've never had to do that, but there are other places in the country where that has happened and it has gone to court and the courts have said, it's very clear in the document, no residential use of the property is permitted. Uh, I know there's one case in Pennsylvania um, where the owner actually had to remove the house and the foundation and bulldoze it and grade it so it looked like it did when the easement was conveyed. And that was a several year process and a long legal battle.
0: Well, what is in it for the property owner? That might be somebody who's currently farming or a retired farmer, or even say a group of investors who's decided that on their own, they don't want to develop the property.
1: And we've seen all of those. I think that the most important thing that's in it for a landowner is having access to the equity that they have in the land. I see many examples where land's been in the same ownership for a long time. They bought it when it was cheap, you know, in the fifties or sixties, or acquired it in some other way through family. And it's increased in value over that time, but it's just sitting there. It's not working for them. The easements provide an opportunity to access the equity that those owners have in their land without having to sell it off for development. That's the only other way that you could get access to the equity is splitting off 10 acres or whatever. And many people don't want to do that, but they want to take that equity and use it for some purpose. So that's one of the most important things from it. And when they are able to sell easements and gain access to that equity, they do a number of things with it. Sometimes there's debt that's been incurred and uh, the debts get paid off, or people have medical expenses that need to be addressed, or they got kids who wanna go to college and it ain't cheap to do that. So they set up college funds for the kids, or they buy equipment. They say, I'm gonna revitalize my operation. I need a new tractor or whatever. They can use the proceeds to invest in their operation. One of the things that i see happen a good bit is taking advantage of a section of the Internal Revenue Code, Section 1031, the so-called like-kind exchange, where you can take the proceeds from the sale of a conservation easement and apply that to the purchase of other income-producing property, which includes farmland, because you can rent it out or you can generate income off of farming a property. And for every dollar that you spend from your proceeds on another income producing asset, there's no capital gains tax that applies to that. It gets deferred from the uh, IRS's standpoint. So, you know, most farmers that are full time, but certainly even ones that are part time, are working way more acres than they own. I know my friends down the road here said they own about 630 acres in my township here, but they farm about 1,200. So that's almost half of the land that they farm, they don't own. They're rent from somebody else. And if somebody says, I'm selling it off, you know, and uh, they're stuck. They don't have anything to do. However, um, many farmers are able to say, I'll buy that property and then turn around and sell a conservation easement on it to secure their operation, to be able to continue forward. The other thing that happens is the other way where the landowner will sell the conservation easement and that land is then valued less because it can't be developed anymore. It's only an agricultural open space property. It's not a residential development property. As a result of that, the farmer can afford to buy it at a much more reasonable rate and solidify their operation. So those are key things that are advantages for these kinds of programs. In addition, not so much in Michigan, although to some degree in the three townships where I work, certainly true in other parts of the country to a much greater degree, the state or local governments are allowed to reduce the property tax assessment on properties that have conservation easements on them. What I find is that properties are assessed as if they have development potential, and most properties do. But after the easement's in place, then the landowner has the ability to go to their local assessor with their signed and recorded conservation easement and say to the assessor, you can't assess me for the development value I have in my property anymore because it's gone in this perpetual conservation easement document. And by Michigan Treasury policy here, and this is again true in many parts of the country, you can get your property tax assessment reduced substantially and hence your property tax bill as a result of having conveyed the easement.
0: Barry, you've talked about the property taxes, but how are the development rights themselves appraised in terms of the value? market conditions, the economy in general, whether it's a recession or there's a boom in the building industry.
1: Exactly. When we're pursuing a conservation easement on a property, we hire an independent real estate appraiser who determines the value of the rights that we're going to be purchasing. And in that process, the appraiser does two reports of the same property. The first one is, what's the value of the property on the open market today? If you put a sign out front, and somebody was gonna buy it with its development potential intact, how much would they pay for that? And so the appraiser looks at the sale of similar properties in the immediate vicinity that have sold sometime in the recent past. And acknowledging that not every property is the same does some adjustments to be able to say, this is what these four properties sold for, and hence, this is what the value of this property is. So for argument's sake, let's say that's $8,000 an acre for a property with its residential development potential intact. That's what developers or people who are buying property unrestricted are paying. Then the appraiser does a second report on the same property and says, if there were no houses permitted on this property, that a conservation easement had been conveyed and the uses are restricted to agricultural and open space uses, what's the value of the property then? So he goes through the same kind of process, but then chooses a whole different set of comparable sale properties. And we've been doing this a long enough time around here that we actually have properties that have changed hands from a previous owner to a current owner, and we see how much people are paying for the rights on those properties. And generally speaking, that's something around, in our area, $3,000 an acre. So 8,000 bucks an acre with no restrictions on it, 3,000 bucks an acre with, restrictions of a conservation easement allowing for ag and open space uses only. The difference between those two values is 5,000 bucks an acre in this example, and that's what we're paying on a property. So if it was a 100 acre property and it was 5,000 bucks an acre, the value of the rights are half a million dollars.